Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. I'm glad you stopped by. This is Relentless Truth Rewind. I'm actually, for the first time, after recording 72 weeks of episodes and releasing an episode every week, I'm going to take a few weeks off over the Christmas holiday, and I'm going to take this opportunity to replay or rewind several episodes that you, the listener, reacted very positively to. Today is an episode featuring a conversation with my friend, Pastor Charlie Parrish. He's from Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia. I think you're going to like his style. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So enjoy this episode of Relentless Truth Rewind. We'll be back the second Monday in January with new episodes. I have some exciting episodes planned. See you then. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to johnwarrenmedia.com to learn more about our work. You can uh, send a, a question or a comment on our contact form there, or you can email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, as promised, I have with me again today frankly, my favorite guest, Pastor Charlie Parrish from Foothills. He's the lead pastor at Foothills Community Church in Marble Hill, Georgia. He's a friend, and Charlie, it is an honor to have you back here. Thank you so much, John, for having me back. It's always good to talk with you. I don't know whether, is this number four or five? I think it's it, it's maybe number four, I think, in, in terms of number of episodes. I think so. I, I get scared. I'm going to to wear out my welcome with you. <laughs> no, no, you're welcome anytime. And and I record these episodes in advance. Uh, and this this time we're uh, we're a couple months in in advance. And uh, we we have both had on our heart maybe maybe the most challenging topic that we've talked about yet, and that is just generally the state of the church, particularly the the state of the church in the United States. And we've had a couple of communications and conversations about about this topic, and I, I want to approach it, uh, you, you know, the, like everything else we've talked about, uh, boldly but but sensitively, and and maybe more boldly than sensitively because we want to tell the truth, and and I know that's how you operate. So I'm I'm looking forward to this uh, this discussion. I'm wondering if we could just start with. Well, you know what? I want to start with this. September 17th, you've got something going on at your church that sounds like it's worth the drive from Orlando to me. Can can you just talk about that real quickly, and then we'll dive into the topic? Absolutely. We have the Joy in the Home Conference at Foothills Community Church on September 17th. Uh, it's a discipleship conference for the family. Uh, everyone is welcome. Todd Friel of Wretched Radio uh, you can check out Wretched Radio at wretched.org. But Todd is going to be our guest speaker. It's going to be on a Saturday. Also, Chick-fil-A is going to supply a free dinner, so you can't beat that. 
and he'll also be preaching for us the following Sunday. But we would love to have anyone uh, and everyone join us on September 17th and uh, for the Joy in the Home Conference. And your website? Uh, the tickets are available on our website, yes. It is foothillscommunitychurch.org. All right. Well, it's uh, I've said it before, but Marble Hill is... Uh, I mean, it's the tiniest of, of towns, but technically that's where your address is. You're near Jasper. You're between, I, you know, that's this is how I think of it. Correct me if I get this wrong geographically, but you're kind of between Jasper and Dawsonville. Those are the larger, uh, you know, kind of almost bedroom communities to Atlanta. Now Atlanta's grown so far north, but, um, and you're kind of right in the middle there, not far from, my my favorite community, uh, maybe on Earth, Big Canoe, and and related communities in the foothills of the mountains that kind of dip down there, uh, eh, forty five minutes to an hour north of of most of Atlanta. Did I do okay with that description? That's that's exactly right. In fact, if you were to visit the mountains around that area, you probably wouldn't want to come home. It's it's breathtaking. That, that is that is so true. And I bet September seventeenth that you're not at leaf changing uh, weather yet, but it is beautiful compared to the hotter states like Florida. Absolutely. And, and Florida is beautiful as well. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I prefer a little bit more cooler weather. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife and I don't, don't always agree on that. She likes, uh, she, she likes it cooler and uh, I'm okay with, uh, with warmer weather, but it, it, it is a beautiful place. It great place to have a vacation. And if you've still got the capacity as time gets closer I, I would just encourage uh, everybody to, uh, to to drop what you're doing and, and, and attend or just go for a visit. Just you, you won't believe that such a church exists in this location, this idyllic location. I, I know there are others in the area, but uh, this one is a special place and we got to worship with you and know, uh, know that your focus is on glorifying God. Speaking of the church, uh, I'm wondering if you just take a minute and and uh, just for the benefit of the listener, we're going to cruise through this really weighty, important topic. With with we've got a little bit of a guide map in mind, but but some things there are some things we really want to address here. Could you talk about Charlie the church, the kind of the the purpose of the church? Uh, why do we have church membership? And then I'm kind of leading you to you know the state of the church. But I'm wondering just to define terms, because one of the one of the things I see in the work that I do, and I wear a couple different hats vocationally, as you know, I'm, I'm around a lot of Christians and I see confusion over this. You know, what what kind of church should I be in? What is the purpose of the church and, and why do we have church membership? And uh, could you just talk about that for a few minutes? Absolutely. Uh, the church is the body of Christ. And that's a short kind of surmised statement. But. It's comprised of many elements. First of all, the church is not a, a country club. It's not something we just join to to just join for the sake of joining something. It, it is again the collective body of Christ, uh, and it's made up of many elements of, of prayer and discipleship, mission-minded focus, you know, teaching and leadership, worship and glorifying God, and uh, you know, we could go into the elements of things like expository preaching that accompany that. But to answer the question why church membership is important is this. It is the identification uh, coming together as the body of Christ. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer tells us, do not neglect coming together 
as others do. So, you know, some have said to me before, church membership or church, you know, attendance is not in Scripture. Well, they haven't read the Scriptures, or they specifically haven't read Hebrews right. <laughs> that, that calls us to that. Uh, so the church, uh, the goal of the church, the aim of the church is to glorify Jesus Christ, magnify the Lord Jesus in every way, and to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to the nations that others may come to know him. And this idea of corporate worship, talk about that for a minute. It is modeled in Scripture, and not, not just in Hebrews and in, in Acts and in other places, but what are the benefits? I mean, I just see so many benefits. I'd have a hard time articulating them, but the benefits of corporate worship, well, one, obedience to Scripture, right? But but, right. There, but there are some very practical benefits of that fellowship and and corporate worship that that accompany God's means of grace for us, his people. Well, aside from edification and, you know, equipping us to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, it is that fellowship aspect. And believers do have a joy in them and a desire to be around other believers as well. That's that's part of the new birth and the new nature we have as believers. We're drawn to each other, you know. So for a professing Christian to say, I don't want to be around other Christians or, or other people that love the Lord. That's kind of a contradiction in terms. Um, then you get into others saying that, well, I don't want to go to church because of uh, hypocrisy. Well, I think Spurgeon said it best, and, and I don't have a quote in front of me, but, but Spurgeon basically said that we're all hypocrites uh, in one way or another. Basically, welcome to the family of God. Now come and let's join together and worship the one who is perfect, because we are not. Um, so that's that's one of the, the greatest benefits of church membership of coming is you are arounded, or around other like-minded saints, joining together uh, to praise, worship, uh, bearing one another's burdens. Uh, it is the family of God in every sense. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And I, I remember during the COVID, early COVID days, and in fact, that's when we worshiped with you at Foothills. And I remember uh, there was a, there, there was kind of a sense of isolation and, and, and not, not at your church, your church was still, you managed to be warm. You had people kind of spread out a little bit and wearing masks and you were real careful with, with the COVID protocols, but you still had corporate worship and other churches, uh, in, including our own, uh, went uh, virtual for a few weeks. And, and I just remember kind of this, this whole, but for that person who says, no, I can sit on my couch at home and read my Bible I do my own worship. I do it. I do it right here in my family room. Uh, my wife and I and kids or whatever it is, uh, the grandparents or, or, or whatever, we, we can do it right here. What I, I think you just answered this, but what would you say to them to encourage them? Would you encourage them? No, get, get out and be, become part of a church. And what would you advise them to do? Well, watching a sermon online at home is not, is not worship. It is not what the Bible defines worship as. Now, we can worship the Lord and sing praises to the Lord, yes, apart from being in a church building. But church, if you look in the book of Acts, and you just mentioned this a few minutes ago, if you look in Acts, the early church, they would come together. There was a coming together uh, of those in the body of Christ. In fact, the verse that I referred to earlier is Hebrews 10.25, and I'm just going to read it for us. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day is returning and drawing near. 
So meeting together can't be done virtually. Now, you can argue Vimeo if you want to or, or Skype or whatever that is, right. but that is still not the personal meeting of the body of Christ and, and edifying one another. It's just not. Um, so church is coming together with the body, being with the body. Um, now, I want to take uh, and give a, a preface. There are those that due to you know older age and maybe injuries or, or certain things, they are physically health, health limited. Is, health issues, yeah. Yeah, that, that's understandable. That's understandable. But here's the beauty of that. That's when the local church goes to them. Um, I, I knew a, a, a man many years ago, and he was uh, a shut-in. He literally couldn't leave his home. And the church that I was a part of at the time, we would go to this man during the week, and we would have worship with him at his home. We yep. would surround him uh, and sing songs, and we would do a little Bible study with him. So he did not miss out on the fellowship of the saints. But that is what the church is. It is coming together. It is being together as the body of Christ. Now, I hear all the time, not not all the time, but but consistently, I hear, well, I can't find a church that is true to Scripture. And what 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 we mean, I think, when we say that is, I, I can't find a church that believes all the things I believe, uh, perfect, right. perfectly. Um, right. What? Or, or here's here's another one. You get a bunch of Christians together, and it doesn't have to be many, and and they they worship together and fellowship together and get to know each other. Somebody's going to hurt somebody's feelings in in that in that fellowship, and and we we can be some of the worst at that, and and. and what what do you say to people who say, well, I've got a reason why I I, I don't want to be part of a church? Or like you said, uh, it might have been in our private conversation earlier, um, but but you mentioned uh, hypocrites. One, one of the one of the complaints I, I hear all the time is, "No, I'm not going to that church. They're full of hypocrites." What what would you say to the person that that is kind of looking for perfect and 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 not not engaged in church or just feels awkward, uh, just feels like maybe not worthy. Hmm. Well, I would ask what the measuring stick for making that assessment is. Is it others? Are they basing uh, their assessment of what it takes to be a church member or why they can't participate as far as uh, being with others, as how they treat or how they're treated? Because we're all sinners, we're all fallen. And again, as Spurgeon once said, we're all hypocrites. So, Welcome to the family of God. If you are a hypocrite, we're all there. Let's come together, rather, and worship the one who is perfect, because we're not. We're going to fall. We're going to misstep. We're even going to step on each other at times. And that's when the teachings of Christ, repentance, forgiveness come into play. So, again, looking for a perfect church, you should be looking towards a perfect Savior. That's what we should look towards, not at others mm-hmm. pointing our fingers. Because when we point our fingers at others, you know, when you, the old adage, you, you point your finger at somebody in accusation, you got three more pointing back at you uh, in that hand you're pointing with, because we all have our own sins. So everyone is a hypocrite. That that statement is a house of cards. Yep. Yep, it sure is. And and what about that that person that just hasn't you know, maybe they left the church for one of these reasons that that you just said is not a great reason, but it happened, and and they and they've been on the sidelines for years, and and they're they're listening to this, and they say, well, now wait a minute, maybe I maybe I want to do want to go to church, but I I might not look like them, I might not think like that church, I might will I will I be will will I be welcomed? How what kinds of things should a person look for when? 
when finding a church, whether they've, you know, when they, when they, but they just haven't been part of the church and, and they're, they're true believers and they felt guilty about this. They've had this hole in them. How, how, how do they, can you think of a couple of practical ways to go find a new church? Well, we live in a day and age where it's really easy uh, to assess what a church believes. You go to churches' websites. Uh, that's a great way to do it, uh, or social media, and, and go there and look at their statement of beliefs. Look at the, there, what, what we believe or their statement of faith or, or whatever they call it, so you can see the well, doctrines that they teach. Exactly. And, and even go further than that. Go to the church's website. Most churches today have their sermons online. Watch some sermons from the pastor. And then if you're still looking at that church, go and speak with the leadership. Go speak with the pastor. Ask questions. And I would say this, in the in the day that we're living in, in the culture that we're living in, where so much of evangelicalism seems to be drifting towards liberalism, there's a lot of questions that should be asked uh, pertaining to doctrine what they believe, what they stand upon, uh, because, again, that profession of faith is being twisted in many churches, and it's it's pertinent that we know that we know that we know that the church is standing on firm doctrine. So I would say talk to the leadership, watch sermons, read what they believe, and, and petition the Lord in prayer. Mm. And what about there are so many different worship styles? You know, with most churches, you, you you can even watch videos of their of their church services that include their music, their their uh, you know you know all the all the uh, elements of the liturgy or not the liturgy or whatever they do in in that service, other than just the sermon. Is there any discernment that we ought to have with all of those other elements? Yes, uh, you're right. When it comes to evaluating a church or looking for a church, so many people will look at the different, as you perfectly said, styles, like styles of worship, styles of music, uh, styles of how the worship service is conducted. And when we're looking at that, we need to be careful that we're not looking towards our preferences. Isn't that what true? Kind of music, what kind of music I like, what, what I want to hear. You know, it, it's not about us. So even I, I'll tell our congregation this. Uh, about worship music, and you know that's that's a uh, very very subjective topic. Yep. People have their own opinion of what they like, and you've heard of the traditional versus contemporary wars. Yep. Well, to me, it's very simple. There's great traditional hymns of the faith, and there are great contemporary songs that glorify Jesus. But ultimately, it's not about my preference of contemporary or traditional. What we have to ask is: Is this song magnifying Jesus Christ? A- am I being brought to the the foot of the cross? Am I looking at him and learning something through this? Is it leading me to the knowledge of God, or is it just making me tap my foot? So again, even in our, our, our looking towards, I guess, styles, we need to be careful that we're not looking to our own preferences. Yeah, and when you when you say that, I my immediate thought is, are, 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 you know, the question we should all be asking ourselves in our churches is, are we true to Scripture? And and the answer to that question, if we're honest, is is n- not perfectly. <laughs> um, right. And so I look at things like, are we using a, a reasonably accurate version of the Bible? Does the church do expository preaching, meaning moving through Scripture in context, either either whole sections at a time or books at a time, or even starting at certain place and moving through the New Testament uh, and I think those things are are also important, but there's 
a thing going on in our denominations that I want to get you to talk about, uh, particularly in the in the Southern Baptist Convention, and and I'll I'll interject what I can here, but I I think lots of Christian friends of mine are concerned about this this uh, drift that is happening in our churches. This drift on social issues, I, I I'd call it, and correct correct me if I haven't even framed the question right, but social issues and wokeism and and uh, g- gender and sexuality issues. There's this drift, it feels like, among many of the dom- denominations away from biblical truth. And I know you recently attended the, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Got lots of, it got lots of press uh, for, for a couple of things. But, but I'm wondering if you could just talk about denominational drift, because I'm old enough, and, and I think you are too, to have seen denominations morph over the years. I mean, you know, the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, was created not that long ago, really, and I think it was at Briarwood in Birmingham uh, because of the drift of the PCUSA. And we've seen other denominations morph and change and adjust. But could could you just talk about that and, and uh, start wherever you'd like? And I, I might interrupt you here and there. No, please do do interrupt me. And, uh, you know, they say the best way to, to kill a frog is to put him in a pot of water and slowly increase the heat so he doesn't jump out and realize what's happening. That's a, that's well, a, I believe that's a true statement, too. I think that's how they operate. I think I think so. But the same, I think, can be said of, of, for my experience, what's happening or what has happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. The liberalism, the heat of liberalism has been slowly increased over the past few years to the point to where many Baptists now don't even realize they're boiling alive. Uh, they're swimming in it. Um, I attended the convention in California uh, this year, and it was it was very, very eye-opening. It, it was a lot of, of things going on that, that I wasn't in favor of. Uh, last year, I attended the convention in Birmingham, and it was apparent that, that this liberal drift was accelerating. Uh, but, but I came back to our people. I began to prepare our church and tell them that there may come a time that we need to depart. But right now, as of last year, we're going to make our voices known. We're going to wait till California and, and go there and, and, and make our, our vote be heard and, and see what happens. And I'm guessing and, one of the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm guessing one of the things you thought about as you contemplated that is if everybody leaves, then there goes the denomination. Well, that's right. We, we, we thought back, and I thought back to 1979 when the liberal drift was again in the convention and therefore the conservative resurgence happened and good men stood in strong for scripture and, and uh, the liberalism was shouted down. And that's what this year was about to me in California, standing strong, unified, shouting down and letting our voices be heard. And, and that happened. And uh, I'll tell you the truth, John, it was very, very disheartening to see everything that went on. Um, there's a definite liberal drift. In fact, tonight, our elders and myself are meeting to basically come up with a uh, recommendation for what we think we want our congregation uh, to hear and do and either stay or, or leave. And, and we're leaning toward leaving right now. And that's got to be even hard to say out loud. It is. It's very, very, it is. It hurt. It hurts to say that, you know, we've grown up Southern Baptist, but here's the thing. The Southern Baptist Convention exists for two reasons. It exists for the cooperation of churches to come together in missions. And it also exists for education, for raising up pastors, for the seminaries. 
Now, when we look at these things objectively, if both arms of the convention are broken and they're going liberal, and that is where our monies are going towards, then you have to start asking yourself questions about why am I still with this? And are we being good stewards of what we have? Are we glorifying the Lord? And and being true to, you know, being true to Scripture does glorify God. And, yes. and when you say going liberal, just, just to be clear, because you and I talk like this with each other all the time, and I know exactly what you mean when you say that. But for somebody who might be listening who says, wait a minute, are they talking – are they talking like the progressive politicians or are they, what, what are they? Can, can you just name a, a couple of the most important issues, uh, most preeminent, the ones that get most attention where you see this? You called it drift uh, several times, liberal drift. And, and, and believe me, it's 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 happening in the PCA. It's happening in other denominations. But at, at, at the Southern Baptist Convention in particular, what what do you mean when you say that? Oh man, where to where to start? Well, um, I know <laughs> many, many things were addressed, and, and again, interrupt me where you'd like to. But uh, a litany of issues are on the table right now in the convention, and um, they are going very, very liberally. And what I mean by that is, uh, you can look at any issue. In fact, um, recently in the Southern Baptist Convention, there was uh, the Sexual Abuse Task Force was created. Now, this was to look into. I'm um, sure everyone has heard about the many unfortunate cases of sexual abuse. Uh, that were reported in many Southern Baptist churches yep. as recent. Yep. Um, so the Sexual Abuse Task Force was created by the convention, which was highly applauded. Here's the thing, though. We need to look into this task force and hear what it entails. And and they did. They, they shared what it entailed. Basically, let me make it clear. The Southern Baptist Convention partnered with uh, an organization called Guidepost Solutions. Now, they hired Guidepost Solutions to look into all of these cases of sexual abuse and come up with a plan to this, uh, to stop all of this, um, basically. Um, Guidepost Solutions is not a Christian organization. They are LGBTQ affirming, uh, and the SBC has given $2 million, a little bit over probably, $2 million of funds to Guidepost Solutions to look into this and conduct the sexual abuse task force. Now, as a local pastor... I ask this, God has given us uh, three spheres of authority, and that's being the church, the government, and the family. Why not have the local church and state legislators handle these cases? Well, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, at the convention in California, a pastor named Marshall Blaylock from South Carolina stood up to answer this question, why can't we just have legislators handle this? Why do we need a, a sexual abuse task force? And he said this, Uh, And I'm going to quote him. He said, Guidepost did a phenomenal investigation. They operated with integrity. They respected our faith and values. They are even uh, a significant amount. uh, They did it at a very good cost because they wanted to help us discover the truth and assist us, and listen to this, assist us to be more Christ-like in how we respond to sexual abuse. So now we've hired a secular organization that affirms LGBTQ and we've hired them to help us become more Christ-like. And you see to, what I mean? Yes, and to say it more bluntly, they've hired an organization that has a different philosophical underpinning. I would call it a theological underpinning because everything is about theology at the end of the day at its, at its root. And you've hired—I'm trying to think of an analogy, but I can't come up with one, but, but you've— 
you're not on the same page as this organization, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is not, and yet this organization probably has a reputation for being good at what they do, technically, but the fit just isn't there. The lenses through which they see the world, just to talk very bluntly and practically, the lenses through which they see the world are not the same as the lenses of a true Bible-believing Christian. That's right. We, we don't even have the same definition of human sexuality. And we've hired, again, this organization to be the arbiter or, or judge of sexual abuse cases in the Southern Baptist Convention. And why would, would they go, do that? Well, if you would go right now uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention website, you'll find a link on there to report sexual abuse cases. And if you click on that link, it'll pop up another uh, window with a guidepost solutions email address. So again, you can see all of these things being vetted to guidepost solutions, and we're not asking any questions. We are just applauding, and I'm saying we as people mm-hmm. in the Southern Baptist Convention, or many of them, we're applauding because, hey, we've got a, a task force to handle this. Well, did we just hire a wolf to handle this? Well, you know, and, and so a portion of the, of the authority of the, the, the Southern Baptist Church uh, uh, churches, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention churches, the member churches, uh, a, a portion of their authority has been bequeathed to or assigned to this organization. Yes. And, 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 th- and this organization can be communicated with directly without going through any kind of church leadership. And I guess the idea is to make them autonomous and therefore in theory objective. Is that right? I, I would believe so. And, and, and again, it's being smoothed over this agenda, uh, you know, and what's more appalling to me is very few, I guess from what I saw in California, very few had a problem with this. In fact, most of the room when this was mentioned about the task force stood in applause and few of us, there were there were others besides myself and my wife, but sat there thinking, are we in the twilight zone? Uh, what is going on? You know. And would you say uh, you're, you're I, I know you haven't pulled all the churches, but you were in the minority? In California, it sure felt that way. Now, again, they were very strategic. You know, let's say there is a liberal drift going on, which I believe there is, to hold the convention in California where a majority of Southern Baptist churches really can't get to that convention and make their voices heard. Uh, so I would say from the ones that were there, I'm not going to speak for every Southern Baptist church, but in California, we definitely felt like we were in the minority. And, and I'm just thinking in this, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit trail here a little bit, but, but I think I'm on point sort of, if I'm a gay person or a transgender person, or, uh, uh, I, I, I have a, I have a, um, a lifestyle or philosophy that goes against scripture that I'm, I'm living in just to say it in biblical terms, I'm living in sin proudly. If I'm in a Southern Baptist church and the pastor preaches a biblical position and I feel threatened because I, because I do feel threatened when, when my sin is preached about, you know, we all do. We should, right. I should feel some tension. Um, When that happens, the, the Southern Baptist Convention has a means by which that person could say, I'm going to, I don't think it's set up for this reason, but I, I'm going to file a complaint, and that complaint goes to Guidepost Solutions, a gay-affirming, an LBGTQ-affirming organization. 
Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And I think this umbrella even goes uh, broader than we see, especially speaking on the homosexual issue. Um, Josh Bice, Pastor Josh Bice of Praise Noel Baptist Church, recently said this. He said the convention is adhering to what we've grown to know as the 11th commandment. And within the convention, the 11th commandment is don't criticize any other brother in the convention. Perfect example of this is uh, First Baptist Church Orlando, and this is public knowledge. Uh, the associate pastor recently, I believe it was the beginning of last year, preached a sermon to where he said that they were uh, a diverse group of individuals, and he went on to list who those individuals were in the, in the church. And one of them was transgender. He mentioned LGBTQ. He mentioned uh, you know people that were not pro-life. And he goes on and on, and he says, we all serve together uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm scratching my head thinking, you just lumped all of these groups into the church, calling them the church. Now, recently, uh, I believe it was last week, he preached another sermon to where he he went ahead and said homosexuality is a sin and called a spade a spade, which I applauded. But I have to ask, is this now damage control? Because this was not the actions of the church. Furthermore, you can go back and see First Baptist Orlando baptized uh, a homosexual man last year. And they have made a statement before that they believe that sanctification happens after baptism. Now, we know that's not the case. Sanctification begins at regeneration. Where in the world would they get that? I, I have no clue. But my point in saying all of this, this big, long rabbit trail, is this is an SBC church that furthermore has joined recently with the North American Mission Board, which is a mission arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, to plant other churches in the nation. Now, what kind of churches do you think they're going to be planting? I'll tell you what kind. The kind that have their same ideology. Well, the the part that, and I made a note of this so we could come back to it, the part that just blows my mind is you were quoting somebody in the SBC, and you said you said that they they hoped that or felt that guidepost was going to make the SBC more SBC churches more Christ-like. Yes, yes, that was uh, Marshall Blaylock. And, 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 and so, to me, I'm listening to you. I'm reacting. Uh, I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that before, or I don't remember if you told me that before. But but what I hear when you say that is that implies that we aren't more Christ-like now, and if we, by partnering with this LBGTQ-affirming organization, that's going to move us in, in, a, in a liberal direction, and that means we'll be more Christ-like? Well, it all goes back to the central message that I was hearing in California at the convention this year, which was this, unity and better together. Now, it wasn't gospel, it wasn't doctrine, it wasn't adherence to the Word of Christ. It was unity, unity around missions, and and the flag was waved of, look how many churches the convention is planting, and look how many pastors we're raising up. Well, the question I want to put before everyone is, yeah, that sounds great that churches are being planted and missionaries are being sent, but what are they being sent with? What is it the anchor of truth? And there apparently is no anchor, or, or rather, there's a long anchor that can drift to many places. Uh, if we're not anchored in truth, then it doesn't matter how many churches we're planting if they're not grounded in Scripture. Well, and, and do we want 
Yeah, that's right. And do we really want unity if we're, we're not embracing biblical truth? And, and, and said, said a little differently, if you look at the ministry of Paul, truth divides. Uh, now, I, I love unity. I like harmony. I like, I like to hold hands and sing songs. It feels good to me. Uh, I, I, I want us all to love each other well without, without reciprocity, uh, as, as the New Testament requires. But I believe that Paul's ministry was characterized by telling the truth, by adhering to the essential truths of the faith. Can you just comment on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paul, Jesus, all of the disciples preached truth. Unity without the anchor of God's Word is pragmatism. And that's what the churches are falling for. That's what the SBC is falling for right now. It is what works. It's numbers. How can we get more numbers where we can say what we've done and tout this flag of, look at us, look at all the good things we're doing, and we've lost sight of God's Word. And unity around nothing is not real unity. In fact, Jesus, in in the Gospel of John, said this statement that startles many people. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword of division. Now, did that mean Jesus doesn't want peace? No, not, not at all. But if it comes between unity, that is, you know, standing upon nothing and right doctrine, Jesus said, we're going to divide because doctrine matters. And he yeah. went on to say, you know, there's going to be family that will divide over my word, over my truth. And so as Baptists, we need to be like Jesus and say, we're not here to bring peace first and foremost. No, we're here to bring division, and that comes only from standing and preaching the Word of God. And you and I talk, talked in a, a previous episode, uh, it might have been the first one we did, but we talked about our own conversion experiences, and we talked about the the fact that it was it was really recognizing who God is and who we are as sinners that made us question these the way we grew up the childhood in in my case i'm fairly confident uh, you know uh, a, a false conversion experience uh, and and uh, as you're talking i'm thinking you know we're kind of back to that revivalist movement that you know what was it 80 years ago or so where we we, we do focus on appeal and unity and if we do that in the church don't we don't we give people false assurance? And, and, and if we're not teaching the whole counsel of God, aren't we, and, and I'm talking about preachers, preaching the whole counsel, aren't we at risk for leaving people out there walking away from sermons feeling good about themselves and their sin and, and even condoning it and missing the true depth of Scripture, even depth of the gospel itself? Absolutely, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because it was apparent in the convention. It's been apparent former president, he just now stepped down, Ed Litton, uh, you may have heard, was uh, accused and found out to be a plagiarist. Yep. He plagiarized J.D. Greer, who, by the way, plagiarized Paul Tripp. So it was, and, and J.D. Know, said, J.D. said, it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, J.D. I, mean, okay. I, I told him he could do it. Right. But, but here's the thing. At the convention in California, there were messengers from other churches, men who were standing strong on scripture, who stood up in the room, in front of thousands, behind the microphone, and basically brought up the charges of plagiarism and said, what are we going to do about plagiarism in the Southern Baptist Convention? Now, this happened, I would say, two to three times, and each time plagiarism was brought up, their mics were cut, and they were told this is not the time and the place. Now, here's the thing. They would not call out sin. 
but they gave the microphone to Pastor Rick Warren. Now, if you don't know Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren is a Southern Baptist church, and he has been ordaining women to preach. In fact, his replacements, he's retiring, and he has a husband-wife team that are co-pastors. And this is not... Uh, not savvy with neither the Baptist faith and message or the Bible for that instance. Now, Rick Warren got up, stood, and basically went on to talk about how great he was, how many churches he planted, and called women pastors a secondary issue and, and kind of laughed it off. He got a standing ovation. Now, think about this. When plagiarism, sin within the convention was brought up, microphones were cut off. But when Rick Warren stands to to basically downplay what he's been accused of and say it's not a big deal, then he receives a standing ovation. Not only that, but the convention went on to ask this question from from the floor. Well, maybe we need to get together within the convention and have a one-year study group to study the word pastor and see what that really means. Now, that seems like they're taking a page out of our world where they say, let's study what a woman is or what a man is. Or what, so or, what cool. or what truth is. Or what truth is. Study the word pastor. Have a study group in the convention to see what pastor means. This, this was really, really eye-opening. Al Mohler stood up to the floor and said this. He said, we don't need to study the word pastor. He said, it's clear in Scripture. And, and Al Mohler was standing firm, saying, this is not right. Then... After Al Mohler did that, they had a, uh, a female representative uh, from the convention, a woman stand, and she said, uh, I hear you, uh, Dr. Mohler, I hear what you're saying, but there are many within our convention who believe the word pastor, it means a spiritual gift given to many people. That's not it at all. But this was said from the convention floor. So the point is, we are cutting off mics when it pertains to calling out sin, and we are applauding others who are pridefully, I would say, marching in it and, and blatantly saying, look at me, look what I'm doing. And not to beat it to death, but but Rick Warren's point seems to me, and you were there, so you you know whether this is true or not, but what, what I read about in the press was it sounded like his point was one that you made a, a few minutes ago, and that is let's worship unity and and let's redefine the essentials and let's take the and I, don't let me don't let me generalize too much, but let's take these issues that are sensitive and park them off to the side and let's call them non-essential. We can just disagree on those. We can all handle those, you know, however we think we need to at our in our local church. But let's let's redefine what essentials of the faith are. And those are the things we need to focus on so that we have unity. How did I do it? That's that? right. That's right. That's very accurate. It is a message of let's just rally around one another and sing Kumbaya together. And it's almost like we're the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts of America. At the convention, they had a pastor's conference and Pastor Bodie Bauckham was there. And he preached a message against this unity mindset, unity around nothing. And one of the things he said in his message, he said that the Southern Baptist Convention is not a soup kitchen. And what he meant by that is we're not created. We're not called to just do good works together for the sake of good works. He said, first and foremost, it's about Jesus Christ and his word and standing firm upon his word. Now, yes, good works come out of that, but you don't elevate good works over doctrine. 
doctrine, mm-hmm. God's word comes first. And for some reason, the convention has reversed this. And, and this this unity idea, what 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 I've noticed, and I, I can't tell you whether what Rick Warren was thinking, obviously, but what I notice is when people talk about unity, you know, and 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 they and they make unity one of the essentials. That that really, what is really going on there is if if we do so to the exclusion of critical doctrine, to to use the word you just mentioned, the critical teaching in Scripture, we're not loving at all, are we? We're not at all. We're not experiencing acrimony, but to love is to have the best interest of our fellow man, uh, of our neighbor, to use the biblical term, and without reciprocity, without even the hope of reciprocity, to have the best interest of our neighbor at heart, and that is not telling the truth, is certainly counter to that that whole reason we're here. Yes, and now the convention has uh, what they're calling the Unity Project. It's a grassroots project, they say, to aid us in racial reconciliation. Now, if you look into the language and you look at what's being said, this is CRT repackaged. This is critical race theory. I bet bet Votie Bauckham's head exploded. Oh, he he is just an amazing preacher, an amazing man of God, and he uh, he says it like it is. He calls a spade a spade, but but you see what I'm saying? It I is do. just a repackaging and the same thing over and over. I'll tell you this too: uh, a guy that I know, I won't say his name on the podcast, but he he was a messenger that came to the convention and he proposed a resolution. Now, how it works is uh, you can propose a resolution um, to the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention to be mentioned on the floor. Sometimes they mention it, sometimes they don't. It has to be approved. His resolution was this. It was a proposal. Uh, It was titled, The Sanctity of the Pulpit in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, he went on to say in this resolution that we need to hold the pulpit high. We need to guard it. We need to not let prosperity preachers in. We need to guard against uh, godless ideologies like CRT and and other things, but we need to to be on guard about the Southern Baptist pulpit and be discerning about who we put in there to preach the Word of God. His resolution did not even make it to the floor; it was shot down. Most people don't know that. Well, but it I, was shot down. And I want to be clear, Charlie, as you're talking, I could add to that the PCA. I could add uh, United Method. I, I could add a lot of denominations that are that are. Um, at various stages of of this struggle, this this are we going to be woke and politically correct, or are we going to actually stand for truth? And 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 there's a there's kind of a I think of it as a continuum. And and you know I have to also say this, and I I'll get in trouble if I start naming names probably, but people like you and Al Mohler and Vody Bauckham and and. I can think of some others who are, who are uh, you know, I don't know as well, and I'm sure there are hundreds, if not thousands, of leaders in the SBC who are true to Scripture and who care, who could participate in this conversation with us. And I know you, and you're not out looking for a fight, and you're, you're probably, you'd probably like to wake up tomorrow and have these issues done away with. But if we don't stand... And and I can, I can have a contentious personality sometimes if if I if I know that the facts are with me, uh, and and so I want to be careful with how I say this. But 
it's not that anybody's looking for a fight or looking to have discord. It is a matter of a, a duty to be true to Scripture because of the mandate that we have as Christians to glorify God. And we know, and really all of these people know deep down, they've just, they've just chosen to ignore the truth and their hearts become hard to the truth. Uh, we know that Scripture is God's, uh, to use the Presbyterian term, means of grace. It's the way he communicates his truth to us. He also does so through prayer and the sacraments, but, but, but his primary way of communicating truth to us is through his word, and we want to be true to his word, and we don't really have a choice about whether we engage in this or not. Yeah, I agree 100%. There, there's an old country song titled, uh, "If you, You've Got to Stand for Something or You Fall for Anything. I believe it's Aaron Tippin. But, but it's actually true, and it's happening in the convention right now, that there are, there are not a, a great many people standing for truth, and, and we're drifting, and there's a lot of compromise happening right now. And my thing with, with churches, whether they stay or whether they go in the Southern Baptist Convention, that's a matter of conscience. For each individual church. I will say this, there are some good, orthodox, conservative, Bible-believing men who are choosing not to leave the Southern Baptist Convention at this time, uh, and they want to continue to fight this. And, and, and that is a matter of conscience, and, and these are good men. So there are good men within the convention. Personally, my conscience, uh, I don't feel that I can uh, endorse staying with the convention and again, we're having a meeting tonight, our elders and I, but, but looking at what the convention was designed to do for missions and for Christian education, uh, when you have liberalism, when you have CRT, when you have wokeism seeping into each arm, and it's apparent, it's not just uh, some conspiracy theory or anything like that. There's documentation behind these things. Uh, you have to ask yourself, is it worth, is it, worth it anymore? Uh, is the fight over? And furthermore, as Southern Baptist churches, when we give money to the convention, your money's going to plant churches. Your money's going to, to raise up pastors and seminaries. But the question you've got to ask is, these churches, they've got a long leash of doctrine, which the convention has, has already pretty much said, women pastors, no women pastors, it's up to you. Some are prompting and, and touting the flag of homosexuality. So you've got to ask, even within churches that were planting and pastors were raising up, are they standing for truth? And if they're not, these aren't biblical churches and these aren't biblical pastors. We are guilty by association at a certain point. And and I, I would add to that just by way of summary that what we're saying here, and, and one, one of the bullet points that I had down here to ask you to summarize is is really just the state of the church. And I think you've done that. You've done it in the context of the SBC, but it applies to, as we've said, uh, uh, lots of denominations uh, and lots of independent churches and lots of church networks and 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 all the rest. That the state of the church is 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 drifting, and 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 I, I I'm not actually surprised, having been on this earth a long time. I'm not surprised at that because. On this fallen earth, we're just usually we're not prepared to admit to acknowledge the implications of the fall. Culture degrades, doesn't it? If you don't wake up every day, and, and you know, Paul told us to do this to preach the gospel, to remind ourselves of the gospel all the time, perpetually. The ministry of Jesus 
is is consistent. Obviously, the entire New Testament is consistent with this, and that that is, uh, if if we don't, then then we tend to drift away from truth, and, well, and, and we're, we're we're back to we're back to are we in Scripture every day in Scripture and prayer, holding fast to the essentials. The essentials meaning the. I, I got to say this too: the gospel, the the fact that uh, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cruel Roman cross for our sins, conquering sin and death, was raised on the third day, and then later ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. That gospel is not something we live uh, or or we we appropriate or whatever word we want to use, it, it informs all of our, it is the essential truth that informs all of our life lives and everything else hangs off of that. You, you, when you talk about this, you do so much more articulately, but comment on that yeah. if you would. Perfectly, perfectly said, I think, John. Um, in, in the scriptures, we're called to be a light to the world. We're called to be an influence to the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we're seeing is the world influencing the church more than anything in the times we're living in. We begin to follow their ways. And, and you saw this with the emergent church many, many years ago, where we tried to be more hip and tried to be more contemporary and tried to look more like the world and sound more like the world in our worship services and get the smoke and the light and the fog machine. And uh, there, there's a church, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, Church of the Glades. And I'm not sure where that church is, but you can go to their website, and it's almost like a Broadway musical. They they did a run uh, DMC Aerosmith song in their worship, uh, Walk This Way, I believe, um, a few months ago. And if you've heard the lyrics to that song, I don't, I don't think I don't think that's what Steven Tyler had in mind. Not at all, <laughs> not at all. But but I mean, again, you're you're playing secular music that's promoting sexuality in a church service and dancing on stage. And, and that's just one of, uh, of a few churches that I've seen that fall into that trap. It's pragmatism. It's what works. It's, it's going to draw people in. And it's basically saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is not going to draw anybody in. We need to look more like the world in order to draw worldly people in. And the trap in that is you're going to draw worldly people in, and the gospel will never be enough to keep them there. You have to keep supplying more entertainment, more secular ideologies out there. And to get back to your point, the state of the church, this has been coming for a long time. This started, I believe, back with the emergent church of trying to to make the church more more relevant, if yep. you want to use that word, yep. to people who are not saved. Instead of relying on the preached word of God and believing that when we preach the word of God, his sovereignty, he will penetrate the hearts of those whom he's called and he'll regenerate them from the preaching of the word. You don't need any bells and whistles. So when we start adding these things to the church, it's us. It's us doubting God's sovereignty. It's us doubting his word. So I think you said it perfectly. The church, the state we're in, it's not the world's fault. It's our fault. Well, that's right. And, you know, Paul talked a lot about knowing. Um, he talked a lot about knowledge, renewing your mind. Romans 6, he talks about not knowing this, this, this notion of being agnostic. And I, I know we've talked about all these topics before, but that foundation, that underpinning, this underpinning that we're talking about in truth is what we stand on. And then, then you quickly have to go to the rest of Scripture and say, yes, and God uses suffering 
to make us steadfast. And yeah. those things are counterintuitive, aren't they? And unless they we know truth, unless I know that, when I experience suffering, and I'm not begging for suffering today, but unless I understand that, I'm kind of drifting around and don't know what's happening to me. I, I don't know to embrace it. I think, wait a minute, I heard a Joel Osteen sermon, and he said everything's going to turn out great, and I can live my best life now, and if I just have enough faith, everything's going to be great. And and I and if I don't know scripture, I look around and say, whoa, what what about me? I'm I'm I don't belong. I'm not one of them. I must not be doing it right. Yes, we spend more time in the world than we do our Bibles. That's the problem. We spend more time absorbing secular entertainment than we do reading the Word of God. And so, yep. therefore, we we use the lens of culture to read scripture, or or, or the world begins to do that. Christians in the world, you see culture, which you're swimming in that bowl daily. And you read scripture, and then you begin to contextualize. And to make it worse, you have pastors that are now viewing the scriptures through the lens of culture and training their people. And ultimately, on the the very top of that umbrella now, as we talked about, you've got a convention that is teaching through the lens of, of culture and reading scripture. And they're sending out missionaries and pastors. So it's, a, it's only a matter of time before the house that is in smoke goes up in flames. Well, I, I hope this has been helpful to uh, those who who hear it because it's a it's a blessing to me, and you're going to bristle when I say this, but you're modeling the the right approach to these issues, a biblical leadership approach for me and my family, for listeners, for those who uh, are blessed by getting to be part of your church, and and uh, that that modeling. You know, that that's what biblical leadership is all about. Now, I know you do it humbly. I know you don't get pleasure in in uh, in uh, confrontation and, and even in calling names, but I'm thankful that you'll do it. And I'm proud to be your friend. I'm thankful that we got this opportunity because I think we're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations. If that means that, I hate to say it this way, but if that means churches start to lose their tax-exempt status or and I, I don't necessarily think we're there yet, but but if if we, if we start to lose friends over it or or status over it or even suffer financially for it, we do have to hold to truth. And I, I think what you've done here today, Charlie, is loved people well by telling the truth. And and I I, I think we have sometimes a a weak definition of love. So I'm I'm proud to be your friend and thankful that you'd come on and do this. Well, I'm grateful for you too, John. Grateful for your podcast and your ministry, which is reaching so many and has been such a great influence uh, in my life as well. And I would say if we're going to unify around something, let's unify around the Word of God. Uh, let, yep. Let's start that. Let's and there, start there's that. tension. There's tension in there, isn't there? There is. There is. I read. That's, I read Scripture, and my goodness, I I see the tension. I I even in looking at God's sovereignty and man's free will, I. Uh, I mean, we've talked about that before. We don't need to go there today. But I mean, there's so much Paul calling out sin, those 14 counts of sin in Romans 3. There, there's just there's just tension in Scripture. And and I think one of the things that we do as we mature, isn't it, to, to learn to embrace it? There's no tension. If there's no internal fight uh, within us, then I would have to say we need to be looking to see if there was any true regeneration. 
because if God has made us anew, there's going to be that tension, that war with the flesh that Paul spoke of. Uh, if we don't have that, and if everything's good all the time and we're accepting of everything, uh, we need to question ourselves because we're not looking like the model that Paul gave us through the scriptures. Well, that's right. And, you know, I, I, I want to be tender here. Uh, we've got to wrap it up. But but I, I to those who are bristling or say, wait a minute, you don't love me and my type or you don't you're anti uh, this or that. I can assure you we didn't make it up. Uh, we, we are reflecting biblical content, scriptural content. And we say this in, in love. It would be unloving not to tell the truth. Well, let me say this before we close also. You know, speaking, we talked about a lot of issues. We talked about one of which was, was homosexuality. And, and I want to be the first to say that, that we love anyone who is homosexual. We want them to hear the truth of the gospel. We want them to come to our church and hear the gospel. But membership is for believers only. We want people to be brought to the foot of the cross and hear the message of the gospel. So we're not being unloving, but we are saying that there are boundaries and those that profess Jesus Christ do not continue in a practice of sin. We all fall short in sin, but a walking in a lifestyle is different. That that's right, and and I mean, let's go to dinner. Let's meet and talk. Uh, you, you know, yeah. I I agree. Uh, we we want our churches to be warm and welcoming, but church leadership has got to take biblical positions. I mean, you, you know, uh, like it or not, when you're called to be a pastor, you are modeling, and I believe this is true of teachers and others in 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 Scripture as well. You are modeling not just behavior. It's it's not you know we're not we're not all a bunch of Pharisees just kind of checking things off a checklist. You're modeling ideology, and yes. you're modeling scripture, and and walking, modeling walking by faith. And I, I know some bristle when you say that, and they say oh, I don't like accountability, and I don't you know stewardship and leadership and all those things. Well, that that is um, among the purposes of the church, and you've articulated that so well today. So, Charlie, I can't thank you enough. Thank you, John. All right, folks, if you will uh, feel free to comment if if we've caused uh, uh, anxiety, angst of any kind, uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you, pastors uh, as well. I hope you've, uh, you've, you've sensed the spirit with which we've approached this topic, and that is telling the truth in love. So please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Again, you can find us wherever you get your podcast, or you can go straight to the website at John Warren Media. Com. Feel free to send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. My guest has been Pastor Charlie Parrish of Foothills Community Church, the lead pastor there in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia. Go to his website, foothillscommunitychurch.org. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. John Warren.